Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Stephen Hupp will join us to discuss pop psychology. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. psychology covers a lot of interesting and strange things, but how do we evaluate all of these findings? Joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Stephen Hupp. Dr. Hupp is a clinical psychologist and professor of psychology at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville. He has won the Great Teacher Award from the SIUE Alumni Association and published several books, including Pseudoscience and Therapy and Dr. Huckleberry's True or Malarkey Superhuman Abilities. He, along with Richard Wiseman, has edited the new book, Investigating Pop Psychology, Pseudoscience, Fringe Science, and Controversies. Dr. Hupp, thank you so much for joining us again here on the Grok Science Show. Thanks for having me back. Well, it is certainly a pleasure and certainly a fascinating book that you've put together here, along with your co-editor, Dr. Weissman, who decided to put this book together. Well, we both have learned as psychologists that there's just a lot of pseudoscience in the world. And a lot of times that pseudoscience leads over into psychology. And I'm a clinical psychologist, and so I see a lot of pseudoscience being practiced by other therapists. And so we thought this would be a good book to tie into a lot of people's introduction to psychology class where they could learn about psychology, but also learn about pseudoscience, fringe science, and other controversies. Do you think psychology is more prone to these type of pseudoscientific claims than other areas in science? I would say every area of science has its complementary pseudoscience. You know, if you talk to anthropologists, they'll tell you about their concern about people's belief in Bigfoot. If you talk to astronomers, they are concerned about people's belief in aliens visiting Earth. And so it's every discipline of science has these things. The problem with psychology is that when students come into the psychology classroom, they already think they know a lot about psychology because they're living it every day, whereas they don't necessarily think they already know about anthropology or astronomy. So they're learning it oftentimes for the first time in those classes. And so students come to the psychology classroom already believing a large amount of psychology myths. Do you find that you have to do a lot of deprogramming in some of these classes before you can get to the stuff? Well, it's a lot of throughout the semester distinguishing between science and pseudoscience and also acknowledging that there's sometimes a fuzzy line in between what we call science and pseudoscience. And that's why we acknowledged in the subtitle of our book this whole area of what we might say is fringe science or the idea that there might be some ideas that are pseudoscientific, but you can still study them in a scientific way. Well, the book certainly goes into a number of these areas and these fringe science, pseudoscience, pop psychology, gathering a number of very esteemed authors for this book. I'm curious how you wound up constructing the the chapters in this book. Really, first and foremost, one of the esteemed professors that we got involved in this book is, as you mentioned, my co-editor, Richard Weissman. 
And I really just started off as a fan of his. He's a social psychologist. He's written a lot of best-selling books uh, related to psychology. The first book I ever read by him was called Quirkology. But he's also written another book called Paranormality, where he spent a lot of time writing about these topics, but even doing some of the research himself. And so I just reached out to him because I was excited about the topic and I knew he was already excited about the topic and he was eager to, to get involved. And then from there, we've, like you said, accumulated quite an amazing list of other people to write each of the chapters. And so I'm not an expert in all of these topics. And rather than trying to become an expert, or we tried to reach out and, and find people that could write about alien abductions and experiences with ghosts and alternative medicine. How we kind of approach a lot of these claims and the questions we should be bringing in terms of examining claims in pop psychology. Yeah, and one of the things I did in the first chapter there was try to identify what are some of the hallmarks of false claims. And so it's good to look at claims and, and try to find what evidence supports them and what evidence doesn't support them. But it's also good to identify what, what are the makings when somebody is purposely making a false claim, what do they do to try to bolster it? And for example, one thing they might do is just add in meaningless jargon or scientific sounding words to their argument that really actually have no meaning in that context. And you find this in a lot of the areas that pop up in the books. There's sort of a grain of truth or a grain of scientific basis, but then it winds up spilling into areas which are completely unsubstantiated. Yes, that's exactly right. You know, also in the first chapter, we talk about the many sources of false beliefs. And you just touched on one of those sources, which is the, the grain of truth sometimes in, in some of these beliefs. So sometimes there is a grain of truth, but people often exaggerate it or exploit that grain of truth to make their point. The book really goes into a number of these different areas, some which are really bordering on fantastic, but uh, maybe one that's brain training and intelligence. Oh, yeah. So we had a neuroscientist, Indre Viscontis, who's also host of the Inquiring Minds podcast. She wrote that chapter with her co-author. And kind of the take-home points about brain training products is that when people have products that are trying to sell you to make you smarter or to improve your attention or improve your working memory or to maybe stave off cognitive decline as we age, they're often overselling what their, what their products can do. And so, you know, there, as we talked about the grain of truth, you know, there is a grain of truth in purposely doing things to keep your mind active as you age, but people exploit that grain of truth to make it seem like playing certain games uh, will make you smarter. It's one that certainly comes up in other areas in the book, for example, selling flimflam and social influences. Well, I felt very lucky that we had Dr. Anthony Pratt-Canis, who's a social psychologist, write that chapter. And in that chapter, he really pointed out a lot of the things that people who are trying to sell what he called flimflam, but what I often call malarkey or pseudoscience, when they're trying to sell these things, there's certain tactics that they use to try to to get people to buy into their ideas. And so one example of that is they use tailored pitches. So for example, they might learn something about you and you might not even know they know that thing about you. They might've learned it from your Facebook page that you love dogs or something. And then when they're trying to sell you the product, they might work in that they have a dog. 
as part of their tailored pitch. And so that chapter is really helpful because it helps us identify what are some of the tactics people use to try to sell us in their flim flim. One chapter that certainly sticks out, uh, demonic possession and disorders. Yeah. So we had Professor Christopher French write that chapter. And of course, there's a long history in psychology of, especially earlier in psychology, of people thinking that psychological disorders, perhaps like severe mental illness, like schizophrenia, is actually caused by demons. And if you think demons are the source of the symptoms of schizophrenia, then it points you to one particular treatment or maybe a few different types of treatment. But in short, the treatment would be exorcism. And sometimes that exorcism could include causing physical harm to the body as a way to try to scare away the demons and help the person. Or, you know, even as extreme as drilling a hole in somebody's head to release the evil spirits. And so Dr. French wrote that chapter and uh, it was just a really good history in how people have used demonology as a way to explain mental health issues. But it's that idea is not gone. Like you can get on TikTok today and find people continuing to make that same point. In putting this book together and getting all these chapters, was there anything that particularly surprised you about some of the, the claims that you find in these fringe or pseudoscientific psychological claims? You know, what I'm going to say has surprised me is I feel like a lot of people making pseudoscientific claims truly do believe them. And they're not necessarily out to defraud everybody all the time. And one case in point of this is Henry Sidgwick, who was interested in extrasensory perception in the 1800s. And he was the first president of the Society for Psychical Research. So he was really interested in researching ESP. But what I what surprised me was that he was actually a very skeptical person. And he spent some of his time exposing psychic mediums. So he learned some of the tricks that psychic mediums were using to make it seem like they had special abilities to communicate with dead people. And so he even though he ultimately did believe in ESP, he was also kind of critically trying to figure it out. And he was honestly identifying cases when he thought fraud was involved. Sort of a meta question. Have there been psychological studies on those who promote pseudo-psychological claims? Who? Psychological studies on the people themselves that are promoting the claims? Um, you know, I don't know. That's a good question. And now I want to go find that out myself and Maybe that can be another chapter in the book for the next edition. Any other favorites of yours that you had among uh, all the chapters that you compiled here? Oh, you know, I was delighted to get uh, Steve Novella from Skeptic's Guide to the Universe to write a chapter on alternative medicine. So that's just a really fantastic chapter. Uh, one of my favorite chapters is chapter two. I had Jonathan Stay uh, write a chapter on phrenology. It's kind of like a, another type of historical pseudoscience and psychology, or this idea that the bumps on your head could be telling of your personality traits. thought that was a really good chapter because I always thought of phrenology of something that was in the past. But he found a study from just a couple of years ago where they applied modern technology of MRIs to try to test some of the claims of phrenology from over 100 years ago. And of course, they didn't find any evidence to support the phrenology claims, but I just thought it was really cool that they used modern technology to assess for this historical process in psychology. 
Critiques have been made about, you know, fMRI studies in a way sometimes just modern phrenology. Sometimes you're right. Uh, and so I think a lot of times MRI studies have been overblown, but at the same time, there's a lot more to MRIs than there was to phrenology. Uh, but phrenology kind of was a was a attempt at a science that did foreshadow things to come. And one of the things it foreshadowed was MRI technology. Certainly not enough time to go through all of these chapters, but holistically looking at all these different types of topics in, in pop psychology, pseudoscience, is there underlying theme that runs through it that people really ought to take home from looking at all these cases? I think the underlying thread is that the human brain is just really good at making connections between two different variables. And sometimes there truly is a connection between those variables, and we are able to demonstrate that scientifically. Other times there's coincidences or you no know, meaningful connection between what is otherwise two random variables, but our brains just err on the side of trying to connect two different things. You've often perhaps heard the phrase that correlation does not necessarily equal causation. And that's what's happening there is, is the brain is trying to connect two variables in which there's really not a meaningful connection. But the flip side of that is that the human brain, one of our strengths is that it's just so good at imagination and imagining things. To bring it back to my co-editor, Richard Weissman, he recently wrote another book called Shoot for the Moon where he basically said the, the same thing, this ability for us to imagine the impossible was what got us to imagine that we could one day land on the moon, something that should have seemed impossible at the time. But it's the human imagination that ultimately led to that amazing event. And so the same thing that hurts us can also help us. And it's trying to harness that ability for correct things, the good things, rather than lead us down the wrong path. That's kind of the trick there. Absolutely. And it's not just one trick, but a whole host of tricks to help figure out how to, like you said, harness that energy. Well, I, I would imagine that hopefully by looking at all these different cases, these different areas, that people become more aware of the capacity of their brain to go down the wrong road and may be able to catch themselves a little bit more should they start to err on of a pseudoscience rather than science. Yeah, it's something that everybody has to be monitoring all the time, including me and Dr. Weissman and everybody else, because we're all constantly bombarded with different types of information and claims, and it's easy to be fooled. Certainly in today's uh, information age, something I think we all need to be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. The internet and social media has exposed us to lots of scientific information, but unfortunately, it also exposes us to a lot of pseudoscience and fringe science. Well, uh, again, this is really a fascinating uh, book that you've all put together here. We are running slightly out of time. I'm just curious if you have any final words regarding your book, Investigating Pop Psychology. Oh, I guess I like to always end with a common saying by skeptics, popularized by Carl Sagan, who said, you know, it's always viable to keep an open mind, but just don't let it be so open that your brains fall out. <laughs> we were just talking with Dr. Stephen Hupp, together with his co-editor, Dr. Richard Weissman. They have edited the new book, Investigating Pop Psychology, Pseudoscience, Fringe Science, and Controversies. Dr. Hupp, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. 
And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.